Well, we're on a series called Intimacy and Urgency, and Jeff started last week. Of course, I was out of the country, so I didn't know exactly what he preached, but he told me this morning that we're gonna, we, we actually are starting our message with the same passage. So you can turn, if you have your Bible, to John 15, and that's where we'll start. The, the scripture will come up on your screen as well. And, and I would just tell you, I've had this, ex, uh, I've had this experience a couple times where um, sometimes when I leave the country, uh, and I'm just away on a ministry trip, uh, the Lord will just begin to speak to me and, and really begin to instruct me from the Bible. It's almost like I've got a constant Bible study going on. And um, this trip, I've had that happen a handful of times. This trip was one of those where literally I got in the plane, opened my Bible, and I just began to take notes, and the Lord just began to instruct me. And he was instructing me on um, the topics of uh, peace and unity, which is interesting because we just came off of the one race, Stone Mountain. You'd think, you know, by this point, I kind of got a thought on unity, but clearly I didn't. And the Lord began to just instruct me and download me, and I was just getting revelation after revelation. So all these scriptures just lining up and just taking notes, and literally I would get up to preach to the Chinese, and as I did, I'm preaching, and the Lord is speaking to me while I'm preaching. I'm instructing things that the Lord is actually giving to me in the moment, and I literally would have to go back later, take notes on what I preached, and then study it out. It was a fascinating experience. I've had that happen to me before, and so I was so excited to come back and preach this stuff to you, because I've been like in a constant download for a week. Hallelujah. Yeah, and the Lord goes, no. <laughs> Uh, what, what? He said, I want you to go back to John 15, 9, and I want you to preach the message of intimacy and love of God. And don't just come out with the new hot thing that's the first, you know, first chance you get to share what I've given you, the, you know, the, the gems. I want you to go and, and go deeply again into the message of intimacy and I felt like this, beloved, and this is an encouragement, that there's so much more that the Lord wants to give us in the message of intimacy with his heart, and that we've got to continue just sort of working it into who we are as a spiritual family so that we can literally live from that place of the love of God. You know, we sang this morning, and I wrote the, I wrote the, uh, the, the lyric down. It said this, I will build my life upon your love. It's a sure foundation, a firm foundation. I will put my trust in you alone. I will not be shaken. And he's talking, this song is talking about when we foundationally live from the place of the love of God, how it roots us and it grounds us, just like the scripture says in Ephesians 3. And what I realize is this, that most believers, hear me very clearly, most believers understand Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so, but most believers do not live their life from the place of the love of God. They live by the place of urgency and activity and pressing needs and difficulty and challenge. They live you know, with all these other things sort of causing them to react in life instead of to proactively live from the place of knowing that you are loved and enjoyed by the God who is love, who is the creator of all things. And so we have to get this thing worked down deeply into our hearts so it changes the way that we orient our lives. And I'm convinced that we cannot hear enough the, the truths from the scripture of the love of God for us. It is where we're supposed to function from at the core level, knowing that we are loved and enjoyed by God who is love, which if you think of that thought that the God who calls himself, he says, God is love. Now, love is not God, but God is love. If you're loved by the God who is love, 
It should be the highest and most exhilarating experience of love that there is available in human experience. There should be nothing that trumps the exhilaration of the love and the experience that we have in the love of God. It should be so freeing. It should be intoxicating. It should be liberating. It should be so exciting to wake up, open our eyes every morning and say, you love Love me, you who are a fire of love, you love me. What do we get to do today? That should be the way that we live our lives. And, and, and now, what I'm explaining, if, if that's different than your experience, maybe we're not fully whelmed in the love of God. Maybe we're not fully saturated with it yet. Maybe we believe it here but we're having a hard time connecting to it here. Which would make sense, because in our society, we learn to do and to achieve for approval every, at every turn. We learn to work to get admiration from our peers, from our em employers, from our family members. We, we learn to toil for validity. And we take that concept and we plug it into our Christianity and God goes, you are running so fast on that hamster wheel. You're the fastest little hamster I got. Look at you. It's not moving you forward one inch. You ever felt that way? Man, God, I'm doing, I just see I'm, everything, I'm doing everything I can. God, I'm like witnessing, I'm tithing, I'm like serving, I'm like I'm serving the church like all the time. And God, man, here I am, God, do you see me? He goes, settle down. See you? I've been thinking about you from forever. Do I see you? My thoughts of you are more than the sand of the seashore. I know the exact number of hair on your head. Now, bald people, you just settle down. Because I know that's an easy number to figure. But the point is he knows all the intimate details of your life. And he's thinking about you all the time. It says, the Bible says he's inscribed your name on the palm of his hand, and if he's thinking about you as often as the sand of the sea, I mean, he's just got your name. I mean, I mean, my wife, her name's Mary Beth, and he's just going, oh, Mary Beth, I'm just thinking about Mary Beth. I'm just thinking about Mary Beth. Oh, I love Mary Beth. I love her. I love her. And then maybe an archangel comes running in, and he goes, hey, Heavenly Father, we've got serious spiritual warfare going over here in the Middle East. I mean, in, in, in Asia, have you seen what's going on in China, for instance? And, and the Lord goes, hey, we've got it covered. I'm going to release legions of you guys. Just go take care of business. The saints are praying. Come on, release the power of the kingdom. And then the Lord comes back over here and goes, no, what was I thinking about? Mary Beth, yes. I love her. I love her. And this is honestly, I know it's a little inferior of an example because God never forgets what he's thinking about, but, and he can do all things at the same time in perfection, but, you know, you and I, we run around wondering, do you even see me? Do you even know my name? Do you know what I'm going through? And God goes, do I know what you're going through? All your days, I've written them in the book. Everything that I've got for you, I've written them in the book. And you go, well, God, why are you making me go through this? He, what we always misunderstand is the motive of the heart of God. We think that God is trying to always teach us a lesson by putting us through hardship. And what we don't realize is oftentimes the challenges, the difficulties, the sufferings that we go through, God is peeling our hands off of false comforts and securities so we'll grip onto him. Yeah. And I'm telling you, our perception of who the father is, who the son is, and the way that they feel, that the, the, the Godhead feels about us, it really has to get locked in to the truth of God's affections for us, his love for us. That's an everlasting love. Man, I'm preaching before I even preach. None of that's in the notes. Gee whiz. <laughs> Y'all gonna have to help me up here. All right. John 15, 9. 
three phrases, maybe the most important sentence you'll ever hear. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. So I have loved you. Abide in my love. Those three phrases are critical because they add up together to an experiential life of living overwhelmed in the love of God and never leaving that place. So Jesus says this, as the heavenly Father has loved me, as the eternal Father has loved me, I've loved you. And the scripture is really clear to us that from eternity past, the Father and the Son have enjoyed unhindered fellowship in perfection and in intimacy with joy and pleasure at the highest level. And Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, I, Jesus, have loved you. So the same affections that the Father has for the Son, Jesus just goes, next thought, I feel that way about you. I feel that way about you. The, the, the pleasure and the delight and the love that's in my heart for you is exactly the same as the, the pleasure and the delight that's in the heart for the, from the eternal Father for me. That's what Jesus is trying to communicate to us. You know, we just stepped into football season. Go dogs. <laughs> and I will just say that we're going to keep politics out of the pulpit, but we didn't say we're going to keep football out of the pulpit. Glory to God. But uh, we just stepped into football season. And if you ever go to a football game, I see you, Bart. God bless you, man. Uh, if you ever go to a football game, have you ever been to that game with the parent that's the loudest parent? And man, you know who their son is, right? Go, Jimmy! Go, Jimmy! Yeah, Jimmy! All right, son, now, now that you're in the game, let's go. It's like, what? I got this all game long. Jimmy's dad, can you settle down? So here's the thing. Jimmy's dad is excited about Jimmy because Jimmy's dad loves Jimmy, right? The eternal father, see, I don't look at Jimmy's dad and fault Jimmy's dad too bad because the eternal father is exactly the same way. That Jimmy's dad got what Jimmy's dad got because God is that way too. Because we have multiple times in Jesus' life where the eternal father is looking at the son and father breaks into created order and shouts his pleasure over the son. Look at him, behold, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. As the Father has loved me, Jesus says, I have loved you. And, and then John, uh, one, two chapters later, 17, verse 23, Jesus is praying that we would understand that the Father loves us the way that the Father loves Jesus. And here's my point. Just as the Father broke into created order and shouted his affection for the Son, the fact of the matter is the Father and the Son love you and I the same and so it would be just as reasonable for the Father to open the created order right now and to shout your name because of his affections for you. As the Father has loved me, I have loved you. He says, that they may know that you have loved them as you have loved me. Do you understand the affection and the love of God that's taking place inside the Godhead is the same love and affection that God has for you and I? I've heard theologians really mess this up and they say, well, Jesus, he's uppermost in the affections of God and we are lesser in the affections of God. And, and that sounds really nice and theological except for it's not true at all because it's not in the Bible at all. What is in the Bible is that the Father and the Son love us with the same eternality, with the same passion, with the same intensity, and with the same focus that they love one another. And in Ephesians 2, it says, you have been seated in heavenly places, and the point of the seating in heavenly places is so you can know forever the affections of the love of God for you. He says it that for the ages to come, you might know the riches of his kindness and his grace towards you. 
Beloved, do you understand this whole thing about Jesus dying, bearing your shame, bearing your sin, taking your blame, and cleansing you and sanctifying you? This whole thing was to get every boundary and barrier out of the way so you could experience the molten love of God for you continuously. This is your life. I will build my life upon your love. See, we're supposed to live from that place. So no matter what's crashing down around us, we are settled in peace. A peace that passes all understanding. How can you be so calm? Don't you know the world is going to hell in a handbasket? Yes, maybe it is. But God likes me a whole lot. I got a different news for you. He loves me so much. He'll never let me fall. He'll never fail me. His ears are always attentive to my prayers. He's always listening. He's always caring. He always sees. He always hears. He's always for me. He's always good. He's my God. He's my father. He's my bridegroom. He loves me. Let the river flow. <laughs> We're just getting flooded with the love of God up here. We try to be professionals. It just, God always delivers us from that. All right, in the few minutes we've got left, I want to give you, I just want to give you five barriers to overcome in engaging with intimacy and the love of God, okay? Because what I want to do is I want to make it more than a, a moment that we shout about, and I want to make it a little bit where we take inventory of our own heart and we recognize what it is that's causing us not to enter in to this vision of love that I was just explaining, because this isn't just for a preacher's story, and this just isn't, is, it's not just for like, you know, that real lovey-dovey person that's always talking about love. It's for every single human being that's ever been made. The love of God, it compels us, it constrains us, and it controls us, is what the scripture says. In fact, the point is, the human heart is made to respond to the love of God more than it's made to respond to anything else. And so we're, we're, we're to orient from this place of the love of God. All right, five barriers to overcome, to engage with intimacy with the Lord. Man, we're gonna need a mop up here, okay. <clears throat> we do baptisms on the stage here after service. All right, first one. First barrier to overcome, shame. Shame. This is where I think most believers live. They recognize that they're forgiven from sin. And then they, they understand that, you know, the sin before Christ is forgiven, then they stumble in sin in Christ, and they know they can repent. But believers are so engaged with their own brokenness that to think that God loves them the same as he loves Jesus seems impossible. And so while we understand the doctrine of justification, that he's, he's, he's made you innocent by the blood of his son, while we understand it, we don't live in the actuality of it. While we understand the, the doctrine of sanctification, that the blood of Jesus has cleansed you from sin, he, he's made you white and spotless, we, we actually don't believe the, the reality of it. And so what happens is this. We go to pray, and we remember the 15 things we've done wrong, and we imagine it's God saying, see all this sin, you can't talk to me, I'm holy, and you're not. And we will repent for stuff we've even already repented for. You know that's true. And so we'll go to pray, and we'll be like, oh, God, when I was eight, I'm so sorry. 
And he's like, I'm not, I don't even know what you're talking about because you repented of that already. And I've taken your sin. I've thrown it behind my back. I've taken your sin. I've drowned it in the sea of forgetfulness. I've cleansed you and made you righteous. You're in perfect right standing with me. I'm I'm not paying attention to all the old things. I'm not taking account of all those sins because the blood of my son has cleansed you completely. And so here's the thing. If we have unrepented sin, then we say, Father, forgive me. I repent. I turn away from that, and I turn towards you. And I'm telling you, in that very millisecond, you are put in right standing with God again. There is no purgatory. There is no penance. There is no Hail Marys. You don't have to help 100 people across the street. You know, you're instantly made right with God. Okay? So from that moment that you repent, God, I'm sorry, I turn away from it, and I turn towards you, bang, you are now under the fountain of his affections again. But what we tend to do is as we get close to God, we sense the beauty of who he is. We sense the holiness and the wonder of who he is. And because we've had areas of weakness and areas of sin and areas of difficulty, what we tend to do is as we get closer, we just sort of wall ourselves off because of shame. Because we know us. We know what we're like. We we know the weakness and the insufficiency and the inadequacy. We know the internal stuff that no one else sees. And somehow we imagine if we get really close to God, then he'll see it too. And then if he sees who we really are, there's no way he could love us. Beloved, he already knows who you are. Let me help you something. He's loved you with an everlasting love. Do you think all of a sudden when you were born and then you turned two and you said, mine, 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 and you did your first sin, did you do that? No. Did you think that he was shocked the first time you were greedy or the first time you lied? Do you think he went, oh, dear God. I mean, dear me. I mean, that baby, (laughs) that baby is a liar. I've been loving them forever, and they're going to do this to me right now? Are you kidding? Mm-mm, mm-mm, mm-mm. No, 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 no. You don't get my love. You're a sinning baby. (laughs) Do you think that's God? That's not how he is at all. He knows your frame. He knows that you're just dust. He knows your weakness. He loves you ever still. He loves you ever still. See, shame will keep us boundaried off. It will cause us not to enter in. It causes us to imagine that God doesn't really know who we are or where we are or what's going on with us, and so we stay at a distance. And the point is, God never made you to stay at a distance. Hear me. He never made you to stay at a distance. He made you to be close to him. He made you to be intimate with him. And some people, you know, you're more feely. You're you're a feeler. And so, you know, what happens is the thinkers tend to look at the feelers, and the thinkers think, I don't feel what that person is feeling. Therefore, maybe God doesn't love me as much. And the thing about it is, is a thinker, God will encounter you through your thoughts. A feeler, he will encounter you through your feelings. Because God has woven you together the way he wanted you. He made you the way he wanted. He knows what you are. He knows you're a thinker or a feeler. He knows. So, you know, a feeler, he's all Gucci, Gucci, goo. (laughs) And then a thinker, he's like, have you considered soteriology lately? (laughs) Have you thought about (laughs) <laughs> the doctrines of grace and justification. Have you, have you been in wonder at my glory? 
You see? Uh, so he, he will meet us in our wiring, and then occasionally he'll take a thinker and go, and hits him with a lightning bolt. They go, whoa, I felt something. And, and everybody's like, I thought you were a thinker. Well, my thinking's felt it. And, and he, he's God, so he can touch you any way he wants, right? And then a feeler, all of a sudden, instead of them going, ooh, it's just all gushy, and ooh, I felt like the wind of the Spirit, like, blowing everywhere. Occasionally, he'll drop, like, a theological bomb on them, and they come back with something, and you're like, what did you just say? He's God. He meets us however he wants, but he knows how you are. And so don't count yourself out because you're not experiencing God just like the other person. Know this, that he wants to meet you. The question is, will you come out of shame? Will you come out of keeping yourself at a distance to allow him to get into who you are? I'm convinced of this. We all think we've got a list of 10 things we've got to get right. And, and I, I think most of our list of what we've got, we think we've got to get right, most of that is wrong. God is mostly not talking to us about those 10 things. There's one thing over here that God wants to talk to us about, but because we won't get close enough, we don't get to hear what it is he's actually wanting to talk to us about because we're too, over, too busy over here reading our list of 10 things. Well, God, you know I, I've got a real problem with tardiness. I mean, I just, you, you're an on-time God, and I'm not, and I just, God, I don't know. He goes, I don't care. I don't care if you're on time right now. It's not even what I'm talking to you about or whatever the issue is. I'm talking to you about this, but we're over here frozen in shame, never able to get close enough. Ephesians 1, he says this, that he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and without blame. That word could easily be translated shame. Without blame before him in love. He chose you because he wants you to be before him. The Hebrew construction of that would be in his face. He wants you to be before him. Shame. Beloved, you, that's not your portion. Shame is not your portion. You don't have to stay in shame today. You don't. You don't have to stay in the 10 reasons why you can't approach God today. You don't. You don't have to stay in the excuses of, well, I'm not all touchy-feely like them. You don't have to stay in that. He wants you before him. And he wants to pour out the truth of his love upon you in a way that ultimately you, you get to taste it. He goes, taste and see the Lord is good. All right, secondly, the second boundary or barrier to intimacy with God is a performance mentality. I already touched on this earlier, but God says, I've loved you with an everlasting love. And, and, and with loving kindness, I have drawn you. That's Jeremiah 31, three. He goes, I've loved you with an everlasting love and I've, I've drawn you with loving, loving kindness. And, and, and so what we tend to think is if we, you know, that's what the scripture says, but we tend to think if we perform well, God loves us more. And if we perform poorly, God loves us less. Because we're so used to being graded on A to F. Or we're so used to be graded on, you know, promotion or demotion, raises or getting fired. So we're so used to toiling for validity that we can't believe that God loves us without respect to our performance. Hello. You see, if he loves you with an everlasting love, with a love that's been from forever, he's known all your weaknesses eternally. He's known all your strengths eternally. He's known where you were gonna fail eternally, and he still loved you the same. You have to know this. You see, I, I, the easiest example is, is one time the Lord spoke to me. I was in worship and I was worshiping the Lord, and oh man, it's just one of those times where you just feel the presence of God so, so strong, you know, and I'm just like, oh Lord, you love me. Oh, thank God you love me. I love you too. Oh, I love to be loved by you. I love to love you. I love that you love me. I love love. God is love. This is so lovey. I love it, and so I'm feeling it. Ooh, the love of God. Yes. The next day, I was going to pick someone up from the airport, and I got a speeding ticket, Mm. spirit of legalism got on me. But I was speeding. 
and I broke the law, and I got a speeding ticket, and it, was, it stunk because I was on my way to pick somebody up from the airport who was like a preacher, and I thought, you know, for sure there's a little holy anointing to get you through the speed trap. <laughs> and there wasn't. <laughs> and I got pulled over, and I got a speeding ticket. And I remember just this, I don't know, this sense of guilt and shame, and I didn't do well, God. I didn't do well. I mean, I sped, and I shouldn't have sped, and it was wrong of me to speed, and oh, how could you love a sinner like me? <laughs> I mean, I felt that way. I don't know if you've ever been in that spot. I mean, sometimes the smallest things will just throw you off, and I couldn't shake it, and I remember just showing up at the airport and picking up this guy, and I just, I was like confessing my sin, like I, I'm a speeder sinner. <laughs> I don't know if you want to get in a car with someone like me. I, endangering myself and others, and I, you know, and do you want to drive? Because, I mean, this is bad. <laughs> he looked at me, he's like, what are you doing? What are you talking about? You, get, you got a speeding ticket? I go, yeah. He goes, hold on a second. He reaches in his pocket. He goes, tell you what, and he pulls out $100. He goes, here, you're good. Drive on. I'm like, no, you don't get it. I performed poorly. And I remember coming out of that and the Lord speaking to my heart. And we like to use this phrase from the book of Song of Solomon. It says, I am dark, but you love me. I am dark, but lovely. That even in my darkness, even in my sin, you love me still. And I remember that next day, just thinking about that. And the Lord said, Billy, I loved you in worship the day before, knowing you were going to speed the next day. And he said, dark but lovely only works when you're not feeling lovely. But when you're feeling aware of your sin. And see, we go up and down, we undulate on this, this pendulum of performance. Did I do well? Did I do poorly? God loves me when I do good. He doesn't love me when I do bad. I'll just tell you, you will go schizophrenic if that's your mentality. That is crazy. See, if I lived believing that my performance in ministry somehow spoke to me about God's love, I would feel so loved when things are going well and so hated when things are going bad. Because I'm telling you what, life in this age, and you already know this, it's not all a rose garden. As much as we love the messages that say we get to go from glory to glory to glory, well, those glories are all mountaintops, and there's a bunch of valleys in between them. And if going into the valley, and if my performance ends me up in the valley, if I make mistakes, if I do poorly, if I say it wrongly, if I lose my temper, or whatever I do, if I speed, however I do it, that is, you know, uh, not a good performance. If that affects my vision of the love of God for me, I've completely misunderstood his love. Because he loves me in my weakness and in my strength. In fact, what the Lord's really wanting us to do is offer him our weaknesses and be honest about our weaknesses and be for real that we don't have it all together. There was a group that acted like they had it all together that Jesus had the most difficult time with. They're the Pharisees. But he didn't have a problem, it seems like, with the prostitutes and the tax collectors. Lord, I'm a sinner, I need help, because I can work with that. It's you that think your performance is somehow impressing me. I have a real problem with that. Your performance does not impact his love for you at all. You can fail the test. He's happy to give you the same test over. Hello? You ever, you ever wondered why it's like you're driving through life and you're like, man, the scenery is like the exact same as it was five years ago. It's because he's giving you the same test again. Man, these people are acting just like those people did five years ago. This is so weird. Same test. What, he didn't say uh, the first time you failed it, he didn't go, F forever. No love for you. No, he went, you know what, you're cute, I'm kind, same test is coming, we'll just reboot this thing, and in a year, you'll be in the exact same circumstance with the exact same test, not because I'm mean, because I'm good. Now, I've already given you the answers, because you failed it last time. Didn't you love that teacher in school? 
you went to school and you're, everybody bombed the test. They go, fine, here's all the answers. All right, we're going to take it again next Tuesday. You're like, yes. I love that teacher. I didn't get many of them, but when I got them, I loved them. God is very similar to that teacher. He's merciful and kind and gentle. And he likes you. And he's happy to give you the same test over, not because he's ruthless and not because he's trying to prove a point or you know, teach you something. In a negative sense, he wants to instruct you into his love. And so he'll gently allow you to walk through the same thing. And his, the, the truth of the matter is, your performance in the first go-around and your performance in the second go-around, and some of us are hard-headed, yes, I know, and then in the 10th go-around, it doesn't impact his affections for us. Hello? Romans 8, I'm convinced that neither height, nor width, nor depth, nor things present, nor things to come, nor angels, nor demons can separate me from the love of God found in Christ Jesus. Amen. Your performance doesn't impact his affections. It's a boundary that you've got to get out of. Imagining that if you work real hard for God, he's going to like you more, it's just not true. He likes you already. Most Christians, they live their lives trying to get into a room that they're already in. It's called accepted in the beloved. You're already in the room. He loves you. Third, and I'm just going to reference this one and, and then uh, uh, point you to a message that Jeff preached a few, few weeks back, uh, the orphan mentality. An orphan mentality keeps us out of the love of God because we just always see ourselves as a second-class citizen or some sort of, you know, uh, stepchild on the side. You know, we see ourselves as one that, that God didn't really want to love, but he sort of has to because his name is love, and so he just has to love you. He doesn't really like you. He loves you, but, you know, he doesn't really like you. And, I, and I'll tell you, in my own heart, it helped me when I, when I started saying, instead of saying, you, you love me, I started saying, you like me. You like me. You have affections for me. You're delighted in me. See, I get those phrases from the scripture. There's hundreds of verses that talk about God's affections for us, how he thinks and feels about us. I, I, I love Zephaniah 3, 17. It says, he rejoices over us with singing. And that word rejoices to jump up and down and spin around wildly. So I just imagine myself, I go, Jesus, he goes, yes! Here I am, and I go, Really? That was a little extra. He goes, yeah. <laughs> He's rejoicing over me. He likes me that much. I, you know, as a parent, I try this on my kids. You know, when they're little, I, I, I try it on my daughter, you know, and I just look at her. And she, she's about to be eight, and, and she'll walk in the room sometimes, and I'll go, hi. <laughs> and she goes like, what? I go, I just like you so much. And she goes, <laughs> I go, come here. And I hug her and kiss her up. And then she's like, ah. And she doesn't even know why she walked in at that point. She just walks on out like, yeah. I'm telling you, that's how it is when we come to God with problems often. We come in, he goes, come here. And we go, but God, I got serious. He goes, come here. And we walk in, we're like, I got all these issues. He goes, come here. And he hugs us up calls us by name, rejoices over us, and delights in us. He goes, I'm your father, and I love you. And we get so sensed, you know, whelmed in the love of God. We walk out of there, we go, wow, that's awesome. I forgot what my problem was. A lot of people are looking for deliverance, and they're looking for the one, two, three, how do I get set free? And I'll tell you, go get alive in the love of God, and perfect love casts out all fear. Perfect love will break you free from all sorts of issues. It will root confidence down in your soul. It'll deliver you from an orphan mentality. You're not second class. You're not cast away. You're, you're not thrown out. You're adopted. Yes. Do you know what that means? He chose you. He picked you. He picked you. Let that settle on your soul. Parents, you know, sometimes you, you got your kids and you're like, man, I didn't have a choice in this thing. Dear Jesus, help them. <laughs> but a, a child that's chosen, the Father picked you. That's who you are. You're not an orphan, you've been adopted. 
I love 1 John 3. It says this, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, exclamation point. I love that exclamation point. Behold what manner of love this is that the Father has, that we should be called the children of God. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we should be called the children of God, exclamation point. I love it. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God. It has not yet been revealed what we shall be. I love that. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself. Oh, beloved. Listen to Jeff's message from a few weeks ago. So good on the orphan mentality. All right, fourthly, coming in for a landing here. Barriers to overcome. It's just a lack of understanding. We don't understand how vital the love of God is for us. Some of us, we think, you know, kind of like I was saying earlier about the thinker and the feeler, we think, well, I'm not really wired for love. I'm not a fighter. I'm not really a lover. I will tell you, every fighter is wired for love. Have you seen Braveheart? No, really. Have you seen Braveheart? The fighter is fighting for love. Every person that thinks they're wired to, to be this, this soldier, this, you know, this warrior, I'm telling you, there is a burning heart of passion on the inside of you, and you are made to fight for love. That's the gospel. Our Jesus is a warrior, and he came to fight for love. This is the gospel. And so a lot of times we just don't understand how vital being alive in the love of God really is. And that's why Paul prays in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 3. First, he prays in Ephesians 1. Oh, that they'd have revelation. They would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of God. He goes, I want you to know who he is. And then in Ephesians 3, he goes, you've got to know all the height, the width, the depth, the length, to know the love of God, which passes understanding. And that's where the rubber meets the road because a lot of times I, I, I get to this place where I just go, I can't, I just can't, and I just say it. And it's actually unbelief. I go, I can't believe you love me. And he goes, you don't understand yet, son. You don't understand the way I feel about you. You don't understand that my glory is to reveal myself to you and allow you to sense who I am and the love that I have for you and that that glory would draw you. See, we, t- we tend to think that God's glory is about God showing up almost like a bodybuilder and sort of like flexing, like, roar, I'm God, ah, glory. No, he goes, my glory is that you'd see me, you'd see who I am, that I am love, and that I'm burning for you, and that from that revelation, we would be drawn. See, we lack understanding so we don't think love is important. Or the, the alternate is true, we think we know it all. I know that. I know John three sixteen. God so loved the world. I got this. Know the message on the love of God? Really? Yeah, really. We are going to beat this drum until we wear it out, and then we're going to get another drum, and we're going to keep beating it. Because we're to live from this place of the love of God. And so if you're, if you're in that place where maybe you lack understanding of his affections, I would call you into a study of the scriptures that talk about the affections of God. And if you're in that place where you think you got it all down, you got it, I know, I know, God loves me, I know. I will guarantee you, you do not know. If you can just dismissively say, I know, God loves me, you have no concept. Because being loved by God who is love is the highest experience of love there is available. And it's the highest pleasure there is available in all creation. So if you can dismissively say, I already know, I don't know, God loves me, you don't know. And so I'm convinced we lack understanding and it keeps us out of pursuing the knowledge of God's love. Ephesians 3, let me just read the passage. For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that you be filled with all the fullness of God. Hallelujah. Last one. 
This just comes down to how we prioritize our lives. And I think that this is maybe a problem for many of us in the West because we have so many things that are taking our attention and drawing for our you know, input and, and our activity. And it's just, the last one is, there's a lack of priority on knowing the love of God. You know, we're clear that the scriptures seek, seek first the kingdom and all these things will be added to you. And so seeking first the, the kingdom of God, and that kind of stands out there in this sort of ethereal thing, like what, what does that mean? It means that's, that specific passage means we go after God's desires to manifest the kingdom on the earth. So we're engaging our lives' work in seeing the kingdom of, of God come. Whether or not we're called to the marketplace or the ministry place doesn't really matter. We're, we're living as an ambassador, and we're seeking the, 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 the propagation of the kingdom of God everywhere we go go, okay? But there's this other thing that orients us in seeking the propagation of the kingdom, and it's called the first and second commandment. Matthew 12, 29, Jesus answered him, said, the first of all the commandments is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it, is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. Tune in this last few minutes. You see, if we try to live by the revelation of love and the first activity is loving others, we've actually lived outside of the order that God established in relationship to love. We have to live in order, loving God with all of our heart, and then expressing that to others, okay? And what the church does is they get the message of love, they get the identity of, of the church's mission, the Great Commission, and we live doing mission, doing mission, doing mission, loving others, and neglecting the truth of God's affections for us. Okay, And what happens is this, people that do the second commandment first, they burn themselves out because they don't have the appropriate fuel to be able to actually do the second commandment. And, and we see this in, in the mission world all the time. It's why the average missionary only lasts about nine months on the mission field because they want to go do, 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 do works of the kingdom of God. And they don't even know God likes them because they burn themselves out in an environment of real difficulty and challenge. I mean, in hardship, like legitimate hardship overseas in so many quadrants. I mean, we're, we're pretty pampered in the West and we don't really realize it, that we're insulated from a lot of difficulty. You go overseas and, and everything is poverty and all the, 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 the niceties are taken out. And man, now you just got Jesus, your Bible, and people that maybe don't even wanna hear the gospel. I'm telling you, you have to have a well of the love of God in your gut so that you can love people that hate you. See, how, do you, how, do you, how can you love your enemy? How do you bless those that curse you? Do you just sort of rev that up? Well, I know God wants me to love my enemy, so I just, I just love them. I, I do, I love them. He said I had to. Is that what he had in mind? No, he had, a, he had something completely different in mind, that we'd be operating by a whole different understanding, a whole different reality of, as ch children of the king of, of kings, as subjects of the kingdom of God, that we would be bringing into the earth an entirely different way to, to respond to difficulty and challenge, that when somebody hates us, we can come from this place where we go, God loves me so much, and you know what that tells me? He loves you so much. You hate me, but man, I love you. I love you. I remember one time we were, we were praying outside of this uh, abortion clinic. It was actually what Will Ford talked about a couple weeks ago. is the one that, that closed down on Lucky Street. We were praying, praying out there. We weren't talking. We were sitting there silently praying. Just a whole group of us. This is a wild story. And my wife and I are standing there with our children. They were small at the time. <clears throat> and we're praying quietly, and there's a woman on the other side of the street, and she is hurling insults at us. She's yelling at us. <laughs> and we get done praying, and my wife goes, um, I used to work with her. I went, what? 
And, and it was evident by how she was interacting with the, the lady with her that this woman was homosexual. And, and so she was really just angry and you're haters and you're just this and that. She's just, rawr. And then, and then we, we got done praying and we went over there to talk to her. And did you ever see the old Roadrunner coyote? You know when they're like chasing each other, chasing each other, and then at the end, like they go on break and they shake each other and they're talking? That was us. And there we are talking to this lady, and it was just bizarre, and, and she was just ready to fight, and we, Mary Beth was just so t- tender towards her, just, hi, good to see you again, and it's hard to not, like, love my wife, because she's so sweet, and so, so Mary Beth just syruped her up, and went, hi, and I remember the Lord said, buy her lunch, and I, I just went, really? Like, she hates us, and she called us a lot, he goes, buy her lunch. I love her. Reached in my pocket, walked over to her, said, I want to buy you lunch. Can I buy you lunch? She was like, what? I got, I'll tell you what, I'll just give you the money. Go buy yourself lunch and just know that we love you. We, we, we genuinely do. We, we'd like to get to know you, whatever else, I don't know. And, and this lady just walked away with that, with that $20, like, what just happened? Do you know, if we could get so whelmed up with the love of God on the inside of us, when the world, when they hate us, we can love them easily. We don't get all offended at sinners. Oh, they're sinners. Ew. Can I help you? You know what sinners do? They're pros at it. You know what they do that they're pros at? Sinning. They're professionals at sinning. Remember before you got saved, how you were a professional at sinning too? So when you're filled with the love of God, you recognize God loves them just like he loves you, and their sin doesn't offend you like that, and you move right through that with the fire of love, and it burns off all that hate. You know what's more powerful than hate? Love is more powerful than hate. And they'll sit there and tell us that we're haters because we have a standard and because we want to give ourselves to holiness, and we want to live by what God calls us to live by, and they'll say, you hate me. I go, no, I don't. I don't hate you. I love you. But the only way you can get there, the only possible way you can get there is by recognizing and having revelation of the love of God for you. You know what I found? People that don't know the love of God for themselves, they don't love others very well. Sometimes the church gets a bad rap. We're not very loving. Why? Because we don't know love ourselves. Come on, beloved. This is where we have to live. There's a reason why Jesus said, abide in my love. He says, the Father loves me, I love you. Now stay there. We don't graduate from the revelation of God's love. That's not something you learn in Sunday school when you're a kid and you just move on to give me more revelation, something deeper. Beloved, you know how educated we are beyond our level of obedience? We need to go back to the ancient paths. We need to go back to the old things. We need to get the the 101 of Christianity really rooted down deep in our soul because we don't need a ton of revelation on 50 different topics. We need one or two things really rooted down and living them out day in and day out. And then I'll tell you what, when you're rooted in love, you're grounded in love, and the spirit of revelation is on you, God will share more stuff with you than you can even keep track of. There'll be more stuff come to you like, oh my gosh, I can't keep track of it. Because there's this open channel. You're not in shame. You're not putting up all the boundaries and all the barriers. Amen and amen. Let's stand. Let's stand to our feet.